Welcome to the Leading Edge Podcast, brought to you by Superscale, experts at scaling mobile games and blockchain apps. Here, we will discuss all things gaming with various guests from the industry. We hope you enjoy. Hi, Ian. Hello. Um, welcome to the first edition of our podcast. Uh, I'm really looking forward to this episode. It was in my head for quite some time, so uh, so glad that we uh, we made the time to make it happen. Um, the title of the story is how to design, develop, and then maintain games that will be played for decades. And and uh, I think it would be definitely super interesting for uh, for uh, the audience to listen not only about the past that uh, you've, you've talked about <laughs> already a couple of times already, but how does Nimblebit evolved? What was the point uh, where kind of a, you decided what to do with the still well-performing games, but looking uh, to actually develop a new ones and think about how to how to make the community and the, and the game still happy and also the the recent successes and how to how the future looks like for them a bit and how would it affect yeah so yeah i'll I'll try to keep the the history brief um <laughs> since it's so long you know we we have definitely one decade <laughs> under our belt here's here's hoping we make it to decades another another few <laughs> years shouldn't be that hard but um so we started on the app store right almost at the very beginning um i don't think the app i wrote was on the first wave of apps approved for the app store but i think i got in there within uh, a couple months of it being open to all developers uh but it really started um with me making um a really silly little puzzle game on the iphone uh and put it up there just for the heck of it i didn't really even know anyone that had an iphone at that point i don't think but after putting it up there it ended up getting like a million downloads or something like that within a few weeks and it blew my mind i'd never had anything um get that much exposure before i was working a day job at the time and so i quickly put up a a plus version as they used to be called of the same puzzle app for 99 cents. And it started making more than my day job almost right away. So that's when I put in my two weeks, even though it was a job I had just gotten. Um, <laughs> so it was, it was kind of weird timing. Uh, no one there really thought I was thinking clearly until I showed them how much money this app was making. So after that, I made a few apps under my own name. And then about a year or so later, I would say joined up with my twin brother, David, to really start developing apps under the name Nimblebit. And that's when things really took off. Um, we, what was our first game? I think Pocket Frogs was our, our first game that was really a substantial game and not just a little side project. And, um, Luckily, all our apps got featured by Apple. We were very lucky. And we were some of the first developers to really embrace free-to-play. And it was just, you know, the right place, right time. Story of a lot of early app store developers. But um, after that, you know, we made a conscious decision not to grow too much. Uh, we've never been more than four people. And so really, uh, things just 
cruised along for quite a number of years uh, at a at a pretty good clip. Um, our high point was probably when we got uh, iPhone app of the year for Tiny Tower in 2011. So nice. Uh, it's, uh, and again, it's a it's a obviously amazing history. It's good to be at the right time in the right place. I remember yeah. still um, when when Epster launched. I was studying. And <laughs> and my friend uh, came to me with this article about like the farting app made like one million in the first twenty four hours and <laughs> or the kind of the beer drinking app, <laughs> yeah, yeah, the beer drinking, the soda drinking, it's all the crazy stuff making just millions, right? And <laughs> and and I still remember my friend who is still in close close contact to this day. Uh, it's like this this uh, like righteous anger, like how come you know we're studying, you know computer science we obviously can program better than these guys and you know <laughs> you could see that the apps could be performed better for sure we deserve also you know a bunch of millions in our pockets so but yeah but <clears throat> but even though we liked obviously an iphone uh or, <laughs> or or actually any legal means back then to earn money from the apps because it wasn't really supported century uh mm-hmm. we still managed to to uh, to actually register uh, a completely made up made-up company in Austria, which is the closest country, which <laughs> could receive payments. So you could develop out of, out of Slovakia, but you couldn't really receive money. But right. um, but yeah, the first experience, just try to get there, whatever. Um, like like a first tutorial, you download it, uh, put on 99 cents, uh, didn't expect anything. Uh, and and actually, it bought us our first iPhone um, out of the tu- tutorial. So, so I think you were definitely a couple zeros more advanced by, by the day. But yeah, at the time, it also earned more than my day job uploading tutorials to, <laughs> yeah. to the app store. So so, so I think you were already basically kind of a ex- more experienced developer. You've developed a bunch of apps, games. What I was thinking about, like uh, considering when you chose, and I think this was a big thing, right? That uh, all of the apps at the beginning were just premium uh, or whatever 90x percent either completely free yeah. or, or premium <clears throat> for the for the 99 cents give or take uh so the decision go go free to play i think i think it is one of the uh i guess in the hindsight one of the best i guess business decisions you could make you could have made at the point and was in revolution one of first if not the first that do it with games iphone but i was wondering if you if you thought about the whole life cycle uh, going forward so uh, so we've seen how the premium apps, including the, the because like Angry Birds, just you know blew up and then they went down, and you need to release a new one, new one, new one. Uh, but uh, if you if you thought about the kind of a durability or or have some expectation how the life cycle for free to play could go differently compared to the premium apps that you be, before like uh, if you already have some. I know in mind that hey, actually, you know, I for sure will maintain it for I don't know year two, three at least, or it was. Also, a bit of a bit of a learning curve for you. Um, if you yeah, share a bit of well, it. definitely at the time, I don't think we were considering that much in our decision. We had always just been the ones to try new things because we didn't have much to lose. Um, you know, we had like no overhead. It was me and David in a in a crappy office. So, I mean, before free to play was even a thing we would do this thing a lot where we had paid apps. They were all 99 cents or, or two bucks. And we would put the app, change the app to free for like a weekend, like every couple weeks. 
And everyone thought we were crazy because why would you just be giving away your premium app for free? But we got so much word of mouth and so many downloads from those free periods that uh, more than made up for the lost sales, you know, over the next few weeks. So I think that gave us our first taste of, you know, what the power of free could be, I suppose. And so once the free to play option was available on the app store, uh, that's when we designed Pocket Frog specifically to be a free to play game from the beginning. And, you know, I don't think we were considering that free to play games potentially had much longer lifespans and would need more support and updates. That's something that we learned <laughs> ourselves, you know, later, years later, when, when people were still playing the games. No, so so I think this is this is what it's got really interesting because I guess also from from your side of the way how you how you experimented actually the the kind of the free weekends uh, did you get by the, like inspired by I don't know the, the Steam free weekends? Um, you know what was huge? Yeah, what was huge back then was um, like free app a day. Do you remember that? Yes, yes, that yeah, was this massive app yeah. that you can get featured. Yeah, absolutely, we did that as well. That's that's true. But, but yeah. I think they got banned after some time. So <laughs> I guess do it by yourself uh, after. <laughs> yeah. Uh, no, but this is this is interesting. So, considering like uh, you know you were always kind of a pushing, trying a new thing. You want you didn't really want to scale the company too much. Um, so, what was the kind of and obviously you get a lot of support from from platforms from the get go as 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 the games were uh, were were featured a lot. Yeah. You get a lot of downloads uh, oh. during these times. Uh, how did you, uh, uh, when it comes to this point that, uh, hey, actually, you still have a very healthy game, a uh, very healthy community, uh, drawing a lot of traffic, but at the same time, you'd like to develop new, um, experience something new, uh, I know, new games, new apps, maybe even new platforms. Uh, so when did you kind of start it? How long it took that you kind of started to think about, hey, I need to kind of really choose where I put yeah. my resources in and I could be maybe leaving something on a table uh, consciously, but still like uh, what was the motivation was kind of a challenges or what was the moments yeah. if you could. It took a surprisingly long amount of time to get to the point where the ongoing support became, I'd say overwhelming uh, mm -hmm. with pocket frogs, just supporting, you know, one or two free to play games seemed to be manageable and we still had time to play with new ideas and develop new titles. I would say things kind of got to be unmanageable once we had probably our our four current free-to-play titles of um, Pocket Frogs, Tiny Tower, Pocket Trains, and Pocket Planes. That, that was a point where it seemed like all we were doing is working on updates for one particular game at any time. And it wasn't even exciting updates usually, like exciting new features. It was just, you know, fixing whatever the latest version of iOS or Android broke, you know, through all the titles every year and <laughs> trying to get in, you know, bug fixes and small feature requests from the players. Um, so... About the time that uh, David was was thinking about leaving, um, it was already overwhelming. So once he left the company, and I was literally spending you know all day for almost a year straight just 
updating our existing games, that's when I started to realize that, you know, it's not how I wanted to spend the rest of my <laughs> development career. I, I did enjoy working on new things and coming up with new things. So that's when I started to think either I have to let these things kind of die on the vine or I need to find an alternative. And luckily that's when uh, Lego, who we were working with at the time, introduced us to you guys. Uh, so this got really interesting. So what was that? So if you could just uh, put them in the timeline. So, so from actually the launching, uh, always, so there's like a prehistory <laughs> almost with the premium mm -hmm. titles of the apps and so on. Then you have this uh, free to play moments, uh, launching a uh, bunch of your titles, all, the, all of them get a lot of features, attention. And then what was, so year, year wise. Uh, so, so what was the point? It was like five years into the life cycle yeah. when it started being really, um, Remanageable five six, yeah. Then... So I mean, Pocket Frogs was uh, 2010, and then you know we kept on adding a new game. Uh, Tiny Tower was 2011. Pocket Trains was I think 2012 or 13, and then Pocket Planes was 2014. So it took a couple years of having that full portfolio. Yep. going and growing um till things finally started breaking down uh you know to manage them all uh around 2018 is when it probably really got overwhelming so so we managed for a, a long time but um you know it took david leaving i guess to to make me think about how i wanted to be spending my days so actually, we were also kind of right place, right time, because around that time, we actually started working with Lego. Uh, you started uh, working with Lego. So so I guess it yeah. was a happy happy coincidence. Yeah. Um, and and maybe if you if you would, uh, like, <clears throat> maybe looking back, uh, so, okay, one thing is, as you said, not really creative, but more tedious kind of a work, mostly technical updates and whatnot. I guess the some technical debt you didn't design and program the games so they would be <laughs> managed decade decade later yeah um but is there uh but but between the technical and uh, let's say uh let's say also kind of a motivation uh problem like maybe maybe getting a bit burned out by by the content is all contributed to uh okay i need to find solution one or another so you can i guess get more satisfaction out of out of the work and get more good new stuff. So after eight years of this, well, actually it's, it's, it's actually a bit longer than I anticipated, honestly, like we've seen, we've, we've seen a couple of developers. Yeah. Uh, well, kind of complaining, during, during, especially if they're those... successful <laughs> <laughs> during those eight years. Um, it was just, a a repeated cycle of us launching a new game it not doing that well and pretty much failing. And then us going back to the you know, back catalog, doing some updates on the portfolio, get distracted by a new idea, develop <laughs> that. It doesn't do as well as it, you know, as the old game. So it was just a lot of back and forth. And then towards the end of that eight year period, it was, you know, we had come to the realization that our safest bet was really this, you know, catalog of games that have, survived the test of time and uh, that's where the majority of the value of the company was so 
that's really where we should be focusing all our effort if possible. And, uh, yeah, that was, and, and that made me think, you know, well, geez, am I, are we never going to create anything new again? Um, <laughs> which kind of freaked me out and made me, you know, try to think of possible alternatives to, to that fate. So, so what were, so what were essentially the options that you were considering and pros and cons of, you know, between growing the mm -hmm. team to have some kind of a live ops maintenance, uh, capabilities in-house, uh, versus, uh, selling the, the portfolio or signing up with, with some kind of a publisher versus, uh, you know, some kind of, some kind of a long-term partner such as, uh, such as us, like, um, what do you think were the, mm -hmm. were the, like a major, major points when you were waiting? pros and cons why not sell why not uh, you know grow the team um yeah so i mean we definitely had a handful of options i think that we could have pursued the one that maybe most business owners would have taken was to grow the team because we had the resources to do that but if you look at our history and see that we'd never been more than four people over you know 13 years you'd probably guess that, uh, I don't enjoy managing people really. <laughs> I, uh, both, both our employees are, are longtime friends of ours. So there's not a lot of, you know, management requirements there. So that was pretty much off the table from the beginning because I didn't want to spend my energy managing the company. I'd rather be managing products and developing new things. So the other option would have been to sell the entire company, but I definitely wasn't ready to do that. I love everything that we've built over the past 12 years. And I still think there's more to come from Nimblebit. So it seemed a little premature to sell off the company and retire or start something new. So the other option would be to sell the apps off individually, but I felt like that was pretty much like selling the company because that is where all the value of Nimblebit was, was in those apps. And they are kind of tightly connected with our brand and have a lively and active user base that might not survive the, the transition. So... I was kind of out of ideas until we started talking to you guys and well, we had initially worked with Superscale after being introduced to you by Lego on just picking up some of the, the tasks that I wasn't, I didn't excel at or didn't want to do. So it was a lot of the ad optimization, ad management stuff, and that that went so well and took so much off of my plate that that's when we started looking at the possibility of managing, uh, entirely, you know, the games in our portfolio. And it was, it took, you know, it took a while to figure out what exactly that was going to mean and what we wanted it to mean and what would work the best for everybody. But in the end, uh, it, turned out to be a far better option than anything else available to us. And it, it lets us keep control of the company and the brand and still steer the direction of the apps and keep the games going and growing and 
you know, potentially, you know, adding even more games to the portfolio over time. So I'm really happy that, you know, we fell into each other's laps at at the exact (laughs) right time, I think for both of us. No, like uh, like looking back at at, at how we uh, how we got into and how we got started, it was also a big revelation for for me and, and the company, like a super scale and the whole the whole mission of super scale is to understand and realize the maximum potential of of games and and uh, like historically we worked uh, like essentially from the beginning we always relied and our partner has a dev team that is actively working on a game and you know maybe it's not. Uh, you know, optimizing an app or getting most out of out of different parts of its business, whether it's from uh, from the like kind of a user acquisition side to monetization side, and to really understand how how these two are able to 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 really really bring back the uh, bring the scale up. <clears throat> but but uh, the first time that we've that we've kind of looked at uh, look at your games, um, we've. We just <laughs> even just looking at the at the, the overall numbers, like we're like, wow, like these games are here basically at this point, like like more than a decade for some of them, and uh, still very strongly performing. the The core community very active. There wasn't really much, mm-hmm. as you say, like content or or even some some more excited <laughs> update for a long time for for a lot of these games, and and still still bringing. Uh, bring a lot of new downloads, uh, downloads and revenues, um, while obviously kind of stagnating and, and mm-hmm. slowly, slowly going down. But, but there was, there was, there was obvious something obvious for me that hey, actually there could be so much more stuff that could be doing. Like, uh, like besides the content and technical obviously updates, there could we could actually put in all the parts of what made SuperScale uh, kind of the full final analytics and optimization part, and. And then it was uh, just about putting the pieces together, and actually, I th- and I need to say, like you pushing us that you know, hey guys, it's great that you see a big potential in the titles, but you know, if it's me <laughs> to, to implementing all these SDKs and <laughs> and doing all this job, you know, it's it's not really gonna happen. I would. <laughs> this is why I, I'm looking for something else uh, after like, basically eight years <laughs> of, of of doing it daily. Um, and and I think that that pushed us also to the to the to the moment we realized like hey you know let's 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 create something uh, together we really do believe in the portfolio we do believe that the community that you build and this is something which which I think not that many developers uh, uh, publishers realize like that you are really the core fans uh, will be if the game is good the game will never die right yeah they may stagnate they may they may go down slowly over the time but they will never die your your best true hardcore fans will just keep playing when they ran out of content just <laughs> uninstall the game delete the app download it again do it again for 10 years in a row so uh, so there's obviously something and and it was the first time that we actually uh, thought about pulling everything together using all the parts of of hey let's try uh, let's try the ua on different channels let's let's try it so let's try uh updates content updates uh let's let's try a uh, relationship with platforms uh, to invigorate let's let's do something like that and uh before that we we mostly work with with games with established titles you know bringing extra you know uh 30 40 percent on top of on top of the baseline uh and this is honestly something that i'd expect that you know at least this could be like if like 50 percent would be great 
it absolutely blew my mind that uh, it came as yours. It could be not 30, 40, 50%. It could be 100%, 200%, 300%. And uh, still not, not really running out of ideas or, or hitting the limits of what you've built so far. So it was definitely a big learning curve from, from our side at how game designed that well and launched uh, you know, a decade ago uh, the, the, this core, its core mechanics and being true fun. Uh, if we implement all the stuff that as an industry and also has learned in the last decade and actually try to apply the best practices and all the updates that we've done, that's, you know, we can get back, uh, we can get, I think the first, first time that we broke the seven year revenue record was, I think it was June, June or July. Mm-hmm. Uh, then we had with the, with the, with the, with the tweaked Halloween event, we broke the all time in a purchase record, um, on tiny tower and actually across a portfolio. But then, so, so this is something that, that, that I honestly, I don't think I I ever seen this. It's impressive because to break the all time, you know, record for tiny tower, tiny tower had a huge launch when it, you know, it was blown up by being app of the year and so that's something to achieve this many years after uh, so, so so yeah and, and we haven't really stopped right like we see you know just understanding the title working uh working closely so it will be uh it will be soon uh it will be essentially year when we started this uh this full cooperation after like some kind of a some kind of a, let's say pilot like a pilot-like period, or the partial optimization that we did before, uh, but also what we understood that really the the core the core value, and I think you absolutely, uh, even I guess intuitively understood that yeah, this is your community, this is your players. If you just sell it by parts or you know sell it somewhere else, and maybe it's not the right time, uh, because also we understood based on the patterns that we analyzed that yeah, you really do have majority of, of players just extremely loyal uh writing their reviews that how how they use it i think it's it's extremely satisfactory mm-hmm. and happy about uh genuinely happy uh, community about the title it's also that that rare to see yeah and i think on the whole they've been very excited uh by the the huge amount of updates that have suddenly started you know coming through the uh the apps because before we would go years sometimes without updating one of them so regular content is very exciting to to long-time players who don't want to see the app absolutely and again i think that the whole community is uh will will be tuned for the next big thing and especially the end game content uh which we by the way we haven't done yet we've done a bunch of bunch of seasonal content i think it will be great uh, great getting your input as a so somebody who obviously understands the titles and, and and the feedback and the overall overall vibe but 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 i'm definitely looking forward and expect the next record to be broken after we actually introduce the end game content for the tiny tower players so all these uh all these core fans who need to <laughs> delete the app <laughs> to start again uh could have actually something to do mm-hmm. uh, very soon uh uh as a, as a, as a kind of an end game uh in game content so uh so yeah definitely looking forward to to break some new records uh with nimblebit portfolio definitely looking for some new maybe titles coming coming soon or maybe yeah not, yeah maybe a bit later but <laughs> but definitely coming um and <laughs> and ultimately Eventually. how do you feel the, about this um 
connection with the community, with the players and something that you ultimately, I guess the direct channel was Discord, where I do believe you build up the the, the most, I guess, um, real-time managed community for for years to come. So how do you how do you feel about the future uh, as a as a community of a of a player that would be nurtured and you would you would essentially ha- able to uh, to to give them uh, having a more even more direct relationship and you know being able to you know send them uh, announcement uh, better than just push ups into the ads but uh, how how do you, how do you feel the future about when we see the platforms are kind of kind of still getting a tighter grip of owning the players, uh, mm-hmm. getting less data about what they do? Um, have you thought about how 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 can you leverage uh, in the next in the following years uh, the communities that you built, uh, except for the for the Discord uh, for the Discord channel? Yeah, I mean, that ended up probably being one of the luckiest or smartest things that we could have done um, is embracing our community of fans. And we didn't even go out of our way to create the community ourselves. I think, I don't remember how many years ago Discord, Discord started being popular, but we started stumbling upon these Discord servers full of our players for our different individual games and they were great sizable communities, you know, well moderated by a dedicated team of amazing people. And so we didn't really take over these servers, but we embraced them and ended up putting direct links in some of the games to grow them even more. And I mean, that just supercharged the communities and I mean, I don't know if developers realize this, but if you have a a group of super fans, they do so much for you. I mean, they'll do customer support for people that stumble into the Discord with a problem. They'll do word of mouth, you know, for you. I mean, it's been, you know, it's gratifying too to see more than just angry reviews on the app store. You get a window into people who love your game enough to be part of this community, part of creating it or just being part of it. So I think it was someone from Spry Fox that where I heard the quote, uh, it, you have to build a village, I think was the, the guide to success for a small developer was building a village because a community can see you through, you know, a lot of dark times and propel you to, to, even bigger things. So that's definitely one of the things that I think was key to our long-term success and keeping these games at such a, a great level for so long. And that, that, by the way, is also something something truly amazing. You, I don't think it's still underutilized or underdeveloped the fact that even the more casual games can have a really hardcore fans and and really super engaged community that, as you said mm-hmm. helping <laughs> doing customer support for you oh my gosh when we first when we first came across <laughs> these servers and we saw like all the pinned <laughs> spreadsheets and guides and strategy guides i mean it was stuff that we had never even thought possible or thought of ourselves we we're just like 
And then like we ended up referencing all their materials for like customer support and whatever, because they had more detailed, you know, calculations about how the game works than no, we I, did. I also like uh, mentioned like um, kind of uh, getting involved in the community, even like a testing new new builds, new launches, like uh, uh, it's, yeah, I, I think, I think you really were ahead of time uh, with, with embracing. And again, I think it goes back to, to, to this, this kind of a not being afraid of experiment, uh, embracing this court early on, building other community, leveraging, leveraging them in a certain way. So I think that's something to, to definitely to, to take in mind as a kind of a coherent strategy going forward. Um, so maybe, maybe in last, uh, last, last couple of minutes, um, if you could maybe sum up, um, some, some set of advice or, or learnings, uh, about, about what you think you did, uh, you did right, or you think, uh, you, you think, uh, decade ago that could influence and are available now for, for a new, uh, for whether it's the new games that are coming out and that could 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 potentially end up uh, as as successful as they will for such a long time or also product owners and managers of titles which are this on a bring of being established turning to legacy um what what are the things that that you think that a developer publisher when it's honestly kind of already border legs motivation to be or likes the scale if the company also grew to another level that's another reason that we see of the company's kind of a Kind of a sunsetting and and giving up the titles. What do you think they should first mm-hmm. first think about before they do the decision either to stop supporting the title or outsource it or sell it and whatnot? Um, uh, any piece of advice? Yeah. So uh, on the first part of trying to go back and think of what we did right. Obviously, the app store and the mobile landscape is just totally, totally different than what it was back when we started. Um, a lot of people ask me for advice, and usually I tell them to invent a time machine and go back to 2008 <laughs> <laughs> because I would hate to be. I'm very glad that we didn't try to, you know, break into the mobile market in you know in the last few years because it's it's such a mature market and there's so much more you need to be good at to have a good chance at success so for anyone starting out now or developers who have had success in the past and are wondering what to do now with their stagnating app i would say you know you really have to it's more of a personal advice perhaps, but you really have to think about what you want to be doing. Obviously, you have to wear a lot of hats. You can't wear every single hat. So you have to figure out, you know, which couple hats you really enjoy wearing each day. Focus on those things. And then really, you have to get some help in some way or another to handle everything else. Otherwise, you're just relying on luck. Um, which works for a small <laughs> amount of people, you know, never discount luck. But if you really want to, uh, you know, s- grow or launch something with a better chance at success than just relying on luck, then these days you do need expertise and it would be rare for you to have all that expertise in your own head. So definitely, you know, don't be afraid 
to reach out to people who know what they're doing. <laughs> uh, okay, so yeah, thank uh, thank you very much, Ian, for for your time. I think it was it was amazing. Uh, a couple of insights that we got through the time. Uh, and again, I I I do believe that we've we've published the kind of the the case study a couple of weeks ago. That's that how how Nimblebit kind of <laughs> get back to your numbers and take a read and i i hope that you know next time that we meet we'll be talking new records going forward so i think we'll be able to also show the industry that um you know there's a lot of value in older games uh in legacy portfolios that we honestly didn't thought about because the the techniques and the the know-how available how to do it uh, just wasn't back in the day uh just available or or you get you got other priorities going forward so I think this could be really a way to to show that uh, as we see on PC console remasters <laughs> of <laughs> of games successful yeah. 10 20 years yeah movies <laughs> movies yeah. obviously uh, you know looking at Age of Empires 2 uh, getting two record numbers with a bunch of I actually got two remastered kind of three I guess the the HD the 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 remastered uh, yeah. and the uh, and so on and altogether it's actually became big, big then top 10 game on, on steam so i think i think this is also also kind of a kind of a pattern that we see around and i do think that actually the 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 good mobile free-to-play games are actually the ones that are actually getting the, the least of it so so getting to back to record numbers like age of empires 2 i think the limble bit is is the one again showing the way <laughs> after a decade on mobile. So again, uh, thank you very much uh, for your insights. Uh, again, a pleasure as always. And and yeah, thank for listening to our first ever podcast. So stay tuned for the next one. Bye-bye. Thanks for having me. Remember to subscribe so you don't miss an episode. And from all of the team here at Superscale, thank you for listening to the Leading Edge Podcast.